I got shingles. My relationship was going downhill. (laughs) I was always angry, always angry, short temper. Just my emotions were all over the place. Uh, it, It had to be my way. It's just it was a whole different AJ altogether. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today we're talking with AJ um, about burnout, which is like really actually a funny coincidence for me because I just had a burnout like incident just this week. Um, so that well that I that I'll talk more about. But um, AJ, uh, why don't you just tell us anything you think the audience should know about you by way of introduction? Um, you know, tell us about your podcast. Tell us what you do. Yeah, definitely. Well, hello, everyone on I'm the Villain. I guess I'm the villain today. (laughs) (laughs) We're all kind of the villain. I know, right? So, and I go by AJ Joyce. Um, I have a podcast. It's called She's So Real. And we focus on spotlighting women in entertainment, music, and film, and what they're doing, and how it inspires other women if they want to get into that career field. I'm also tapping into being an entrepreneur in web design currently. So I'm super excited about that. Um, In terms of burnout on this theme, I love the fact that I'm on this podcast about it for the reason that's why I want to be an entrepreneur so I can avoid it. You know, Um, I've had some pretty crazy, crazy jobs where I've been on the verge of burnout so tough that it took a toll on my physical health. So, but I will stop there and keep the juicy details for later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think burnout is just like so crazy relevant to millennials, especially because so many of us want to be like working in the nonprofit sector or want to like, you know, have socially impactful jobs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen so many as someone that works in in that sector myself, I've seen so many people like you know, really have their heart in the right place and then realize that this is, you know, that industry is just another industry that's going to exploit you because like at the end of the day, that's what employers do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's, I've seen people just be real, real soul crushed oh. <laughs> by, by the industry. You are speaking to the choir. I swear. I mean, like I even had a nonprofit job at one point and, um, Honestly, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I was only there for a month because of how soul crushing it was. You know, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to help the kids, you know, help them get a great education, get into college, yada, 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 (laughs) you know, and little did I know, you know, of course, nonprofit, they don't have that many resources. You have to really bootstrap everything. Um, And, you know, not enough staff. I mean, so on and so on. Yeah. So it turns out you hate the kids. <laughs> I guess I am the villain. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Um, the kids were great. It was just too many hats to wear and getting paid so little for it. So, yeah. And I, I caught on quick. Like, I was like, oh, I don't think so. Like, this is this is a no. This is a no go. And I remember that day, my. My boss was so happy to hire me in the beginning of the month. And my boss at the time was so mad at me at the end of the month. So that's how that situation went. Wait, so what kind of industries have you worked in? Like, 
Okay, so I've definitely been in uh, around student affairs, especially when I was in college. I did a lot of event planning, like student event planning. Um, so I was constantly around that environment. And then that transitioned into hospitality and then backstage catering and planning for a lot of big concerts and music festivals. Um, and a lot of people don't know once you start in getting like getting into that realm of the music industry, it is chaotic, mm-hmm. very chaotic. Yeah. A lot of folks don't know the folks that set up all the background, like the dressing rooms and the stages and the sound, the AV. I mean, there's there's whole crew set up, you know, and I had a part in that. And people think, oh, you work that nine to five and you get to go home, you know, once you got everything set up. No, you know, so I've like worked from, you know, from smaller artists, you know, like from like 303 to the Red Hot Chili Peppers all the way from <laughs> 303, you know, from Beyonce to, to Paul McCartney. I mean, it, it gets crazy. So and the more higher demand an artist is, the more toll that it takes on your body to output all the things that they want, you know. And no, I'm not here to tear them down or anything. But that's just how the industry is on that side. So um, little did I know, getting into that, you know, I thought, okay, I could take this on and then I can transition into being a person on tour, um, on a music tour and do those kinds of things. Oh, my God. Four years have passed and I got shingles. My relationship was going downhill. <laughs> I was always angry, always angry, short temper. Just my emotions were all over the place. Uh, it, it had to be my way. It's just it was a whole different AJ altogether. So and I just like stopped. I stopped altogether. I just I like after I got shingles, that was the, the breaking point for me. Like, wait, what exactly is shingles? So shingles is like the adult version of chicken pot. Oh, okay. Got it. So but it's like hella painful, right? Yeah, it's extremely painful. Um, when I got it, like DeAndre said, it's, it's fucking painful. So, and I heard some tingling on my forehead and I thought, okay, maybe this is just a migraine. I'm okay. I went to urgent care and they said, girl, you got shingles. What are you doing out there? You know, like you were too young to have shingles. And I, I think I was, was 20, 26, 27, something like yeah. that time frame. So, you know, I'm a regular millennial. I was renting. I had the, had the man in my life, you know, had the job, was having the social life. No kids. Thank God. You know, <laughs> I think that speaks to just like how much stress I think the average worker is living with especially for someone that works like in a field that makes you use your body you know like your body is your resource oh yeah and i mean in the job that we had people didn't know how physically demanding our jobs were we're pushing uh uh big boxes around you know we're picking up coolers we're unloading trucks you know, and I mean, not just like your average, you know, Tundra. I'm talking about like a 14 wheeler truck with some forklifts and things like that, you know. Um, and just the constant running around and 
having to be on the go 24 seven, reading your emails, uh, like having to make a phone call at like five o'clock at night, you know, like it's crazy, you know, mm-hmm. I, it, when you signed up for the job, uh-huh. were, were those things that you knew were part of the job or did your like job, did your job title and description slowly expand over time? This, this is the crazy part. And this is why I kind of slapped myself in the face for, so I had an internship with them before I was hired full time. And I got a somewhat of full glimpse of what they did, but I figured if I was full time, they wouldn't wear me out like this simply because I'm not an intern. You get me? Yeah, you thought only the interns were doing the groundwork. Bingo. So when I got hired, I was like, okay, I know there's going to be some more stuff I have to do, you know, on the computer, et cetera. No, <laughs> I do the internship plus the full-time job and plus some, and that was a big slap in the face for me. Like I, I just didn't, I went in like full throttle. I thought it was the most amazing thing at the time. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, I feel like in this particular political moment also, like you guys have all seen, right? Like on, on like Instagram or like on social media, all of these, uh, you know, like signs like on, you know, Wendy's and like Chipotle's all like all over the country of people of workers being like, oh, sorry, like no one came into work today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. And so like you also have this like, you know, because the pandemic, like we were already had this like baseline kind of like ridiculous state of capitalism that we were just pretending was normal. Mm -hmm. Right. And like now during this pandemic, you've seen like, you know, oh, like, Congress is instituting, you know, extended unemployment insurance. And then people are like, oh, so like, I actually have a better option now than to like, you know, do this like shitty job in this like unventilated room where they're paying me like less than 10 bucks an hour. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that option. And so like, there's all these people who've been seeing that as like this policy failure of like, oh, no, like unemployment insurance is like bad for employment or Mm -hmm. whatever but it's like oh actually maybe this is like a good policy stance because like you know they're they they have a better option than to work these like you know terrible shitty jobs and so like that means that that should tell you that we should do more of that so that people don't have to work these terrible shitty jobs (laughs) yeah you know this is really interesting though because like we've heard of this sort of welfare queen stereotype for a long time Mm -hmm. right since the 80s we've Mm -hmm. heard this tale of people like just living off of welfare and they're not going they're they're not working and they're not looking for jobs whatever and up until a deadly global death plague <laughs> um you know that wasn't the case right like it just like stats didn't really support it and now we're like we're seeing like the situation where people are realizing like oh shit you know my job sucks and these benefits are better and I think that, like, I mean, I think Biden said this at some point, but, like, it just really shows how terrible the American job market is, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. like if the government can afford, I mean, you know, I think afford is loose term, but if they can afford to literally throw people money um, that pays, like, throw people money on a regular basis that is more lucrative than a job, like, what does that say about our market, you know? And what does that say about the way we're treating our workers? Right, and then you have these, like, all these Republicans in red states being like, oh, you know, even though like this is federally mandated, we're going to try to like cut back 
on unemployment oh insurance so you can get God. people to go back to work yes. and you're like wow you learned exactly the wrong lesson yes. from that. Yeah, that's exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. I am living in one of those states, y'all. And, you know, Houston is actually quite a liberal city. And there are people down here that are uber upset. Mind you, you know, mind you, Texas went through that winter storm on top of that. Yeah. You know, and people are still struggling from that, you know. And it's like, where, where, like, where's the backup? You know, I. I didn't vote for them. You know, I did not vote for those people in that Texas office right now. <laughs> but, you know, where is the backup? Where, where, how do you support the people here if you're taking away the very resources we need to get back on our feet? You know? Yeah. And you have people in, like, Instagram comments saying, well, now people can finally get back to work. And, man, shut your shit, okay? Like, (laughs) you don't know what it's like working behind that counter or serving someone a hamburger and how shitty the job is. You've never been back there to really know, you know? Yeah. So it it just amazes me how folks step out of line in that area and also in a lot of the southern states uh, slash GOP states that we have to be accurate here. They're not looking out for their constituents at all. I think that like so burnout obviously isn't a new thing. I feel like the the, the phrase is maybe a little new, right? Like maybe uh we recently came up with a name for it. But the phenomenon has existed for a long time and I think that we finally have sort of the language and the societal awareness to acknowledge what like what this is doing to people. And I used to think that like the way to avoid burnout was you know like self-care and like buy some candles and like take some time for yourself but you know as i'm like <laughs> becoming more ingratiated in like the labor market i'm thinking the way to avoid burnout is like unions <laughs> <laughs> you know yes okay so here's my like you know burnout story that i was referring to at the beginning so I volunteer for this organization called the National Home Funeral Alliance, right? And we have a board of 10 people and all of them, you know, are doing this as a volunteer basis. There's not like a paid position or anything, right? But it is like a nonprofit um, organization that we serve on this board for. And basically we had a meeting this week where we were just like, everyone has literally just way too much shit on their plate. And we literally like have to figure out some kind of emergency, like, you know, off-ramp. Otherwise, we will not be able to continue existing as an organization. Basically, the way we decided to address that institutionally was to be like, okay, why don't we just put a pause on, like, all of our normal activities and decide to just go into an, like, incubation period organizationally where we just, you know, stop sending out newsletters, stop doing webinars, stop doing those types of, um, like, just administrative stuff and do more of this, like, let's just sit in a room together, like maybe do some kind of a retreat thing and just think about what we want to prioritize as an organization and how we can, you know, get more people. Cause this is like the eternal nonprofit problem, right? Is that like, you have like, you know, three people doing all the work and like, you know, it's really hard to get more volunteers, the more, and then you have this issue where if you like try to get more people involved, that in of itself is like a ton of work onboarding people, teaching them how to use things. And you know, you just like, it just spirals, right? I think, and it, like, I never, I, you never really hear about like organizations figuring out how to like fix that problem long before they all just crash and burn. So 
I think it's really cool that we're going to be going into this like incubation period where we're just going to decide to like, you know, focus on like our strategic uh, priorities, basically. And I also heard this week of another organization that was going through a similar type of like crisis, basically, where they were like, one of their people, uh, one of their employees literally died. And they were like, we are just going to have like this indefinite bereavement period for everyone on staff. Right. And we can like, you know, still have like meetings ongoing where we just like check in with each other and like try to help each other as a community. But like, we are not like doing our normal like business as usual during this period. We're just supporting each other emotionally. And I'm just like, that's amazing. That should totally be something that more, more companies and nonprofits consider an option on an institutional level. I totally agree with that. I've seen that only once in my time frame and my friends, uh, she worked for someone and um, they took the time out when someone's mom died and they Mm -hmm. knew how much the employee's mom meant to that person. And I mean, they literally, of course, it was only just a week. They stopped business and everything else. However, they still took the time out. They stopped business, you know, like literally stopped it. You know, no emails, no nothing, you know, no customers, anything. And it was a small business. But the fact that they they saw that, wow, you know, let's stop for a second and let's put work aside. You know, let's not forget that we're human you know, and that sense of humanity is there. And I think that's honestly, that's what's lacking, you know, but however, I think the pandemic was highlighting the idea of a four day uh, work week is starting to become, shall we say, uh, a mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I know it's not something we could do for every single industry. However, I think it's something we should push very hard on <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i think that you all are getting at, at something really interesting about all of this especially about like work worker satisfaction like employee satisfaction and it's like some things are difficult to figure out like how you know how a 15 dollar minimum wage is going to work like those things are kind of complicated but some things are very not complicated like an employer can literally just give their people time off or can like have compassion with how they treat their employees and like that in of itself mm-hmm. like makes a huge difference and is something that is relatively easy for an employer yeah and back to the like policy thing really quick um is something that obviously like you know the biden administration like recently has been like you know slowly devolving into like oh we really were shitty all along but, like, <laughs> you know, like, i do think even just the rhetoric that he's been talking about how like specifically the thing where he was saying we want you know employers to be beholden to their employees and not the other way around right we think it's a good thing that like you know these employers are like kind of scrambling to like figure out yeah. how to staff these you need, you need to figure out how you're going to fix this like, right. how are you what are you going to do to make your to make people want to work for you right <laughs> right totally i think like employers forget their companies would not exist if it wasn't for them if it wasn't for the people it it's it's we the people. Come on, like we're gonna go very basic here, you know. We the people, you know, mm-hmm. in, in all simplicity of it. Like I just don't like the fact that you know you have employers. Again, this ties back to, you know, these people should be going to work or these people should just you know suck it up and just be there. Like no, like 
that people have reflected so much during the pandemic that they are considering what they truly want in life, you know, not only in work, but in general, with their family, with their relationships, with their friendships and everything else. And also tying back to burnout, not risking that anymore. You know, we're socially aware about our mental health. You know, people are up in a roar about, what is it, Naomi Osaka, you know, about taking time out for her mental health. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. This is actually a very good, a very, a very topical situation. Yeah. With burnout, right? Like, Naomi was like, yo, I, she literally was like, I just don't want to fucking do these interviews. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'll still play in your fucking tournament. I'll still win, like, whatever. I just don't want to do these interviews. Mm-hmm. And, like even the slightest bit of rebellion and someone who you know we don't think about this often but like she's she's an employee right mm-hmm. she's, she's a worker in that situation and like it shows how even the most world-renowned employee is still a fucking employee <laughs> yep right. <laughs> right you're still working for somebody totally yeah, I mean, she like, I mean, that's the thing is like so many of these even like, you know, powerhouses, like they're really just being controlled mm-hmm. by these like corporate like I didn't even know that there was like this policy of like, oh, if you don't go to the interview, like that's ridiculous. If mm-hmm. you don't go to the interview that they yeah. like, it happens, fine you it happens or in shit. football, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's probably a, a standard for a lot of professional sports, actually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they yeah. like require you to do press because it helps promote. Yeah, the event. I think it's in their contract something of the sort there should be a mental health clause in there you know like if i, I feel know. like shit i'm not showing up today <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Like, you uh is well going just the notion that like even these famous powerful celebrities still seemingly don't have the leverage to fight against their agent to fight against their like you know label whatever it is mm-hmm. right is so like just disheartening from a like you know labor standpoint you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you'd yeah. think that those people of all people in society given how like wealthy they are would have the leverage and have the power to be able to negotiate those types of things themselves. nope um <laughs> are you isabel I'm, you're probably not familiar with this but aj are you familiar with a similar media situation that happened with marshawn lynch like seven or six years ago uh i think i know what you're referring to but feel free to enlighten me yeah so marshawn lynch was a a running back in the nfl for the seattle seahawks and oh yeah okay i I don't know if he said i don't know if he said like specifically that he it was his mental health that made him not want to do the interviews but he's like dude i just hate interviews i don't want to do them anymore i don't want to do press like i'm the best running back in the league and i'm just not gonna go and then they find him a lot of money. And then he went to, he started going to the pressers and every single uh, question he would respond with, I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd be like, so they'd be like, so what do you, like, what do you think about the running game today? He'd be like, I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> um, and then there's one where he like, <laughs> He thought about it, and there he was like, mm, mm. "I'm just here, so I won't get fined." <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Ooh, man, that is hilarious, right there. Oh my gosh, I will have to say though, too, like there is a 
I think it's a generational thing too. You know, I think the generations before millennials and stuff are so used to the, I guess, typical lifestyle of you go to school or you go to college, you get married, you have the kids, you know, you retire and then et cetera, et cetera. And us millennials with, you know, our generations, we're breaking that mold of what it looks like for work, our social life, what we want and et cetera. That way we don't burn out because we're seeing our our parents, our family, you know, older generations do that and they're not recognizing the cycle. And we're yeah. pretty bold in standing up in social causes, but also for ourselves and our body. And that's in the whole goal round, you know, rather if you're woman or you identify with, you know, LGBT, you know, plus, and I mean, it just keeps on the goal round, you know, we're pretty bold in where we stand. So I'm just happy to see a transition where we're talking about it so openly. You know, therapy wasn't something that was talked about when I was a kid, but now, oh my God, if someone said they went to therapy, we cheer them on, we have drinks, you know, we might even throw a damn party, you know, at this point, you know? Um, I I would definitely have to say, you know, coming from like the African-American community, you know, it wasn't talked about as something that would help you. You know, it was, you know, negatively labeled as, oh, my God, you're going to therapy. Ooh, you girl, you crazy. Ooh, you know, like, why is why is that the case? You know, so I'm just glad that we're moving towards that direction. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I do think like, you know, Deandra, you mentioned like, oh, you know, this isn't a new phenomenon necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I do think there are um, elements to our like workforce and lived experience that are new compared to previous generations that do like make burnout I think a little bit more salient like the fact that we have gig work that's like you know super common as a business model now right where you can just like be an uber driver and uber's whole thing is coming up with these little psychological tricks to get drivers to like drive longer And like, you know, oh, you'll get like, you know, a bonus if you just like make it to the end of the hour or something like that. That kind of thing where people are hacking your psychology, I think, is a more recent phenomenon that like is a pretty unique product of like the tech environment that we're living in. Because like it is really like just exhausting to have the mental energy of being surrounded by notifications, being surrounded by. Like it does take literally just like hours a day to just get through like your email. And that's not even like considered productive. That's just like the normal shit you have to do. That's like a baseline expectation, right? You didn't produce anything. You just had to like, you know, go through these endless like people trying to assault your (laughs) attention, right? And like that is like not something that you had to do if you were like some, you know, what you know your average like even white collar worker back in like the 80s or something you know <laughs> yeah maybe it's the phone have changed right yeah conditions have changed for workers asynchronous communication i feel like makes it really because you're like in the back of your mind you're holding all of these little tabs you know of like oh okay i gotta answer that text i gotta do this i gotta do that otherwise i'm a shitty person you know 
And that, that just leads to sense. like micro stress that just builds up. Do you guys think that with the addition of those psychological factors, you know, from big marketing as well as big brands, social media being an attribute to burnout overall? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Do you guys I, think it really contributes to that? I I think about I think it depends on uh, what you're burning out from. like i think in the um in the activist space like certainly right i think i think in any space that requires you to be active on social media about a thing which is actually a lot of a lot of different spaces right Mm -hmm. um like not even just nonprofit stuff like i i was scrolling through my facebook uh invites today people were like inviting me to like something and i had literally like 10 different invites from 10 different people that had become realtors you know, and like, and they were all like, you know, blank, blank realty for whatever. And they're all just like maintaining a social media presence, you know, trying to advertise their goods. Um, so in that way, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that like, you know, the way I use social media, I feel like um, the. Yes, like, you know, I time that I would have otherwise spent maybe doing something like, you know, more, more like purely relaxing or whatever is like, you know, time I spend scrolling. Mm-hmm. And so because of that addictive quality of it, it kind of like doesn't really allow you to recharge in those moments. And it's like, but it's still at the same time, even though I know that really difficult to not do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been really trying to explore why is it so addicting? Like, is it purely the scrolling or, you know, the FOMO aspect? What is it that we're well, so it's, addicted to? It's designed to, to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it called? You should watch The Social Experiment. Oh, the, social the, so- the Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. I started a little bit of it, but I haven't finished it, so I will. Yeah. It's just, it's just all created to, like, literally hack into your brain and, like, trigger the same things that would make someone addicted to drugs happen when you you know get a like or get some acknowledgement or like whatever or know, even like, like on a biological level like you know what early man would have experienced like finding a fruit tree or something you know <laughs> like <laughs> we're just so not evolved for this kind of uh you know environment right of of of, of stimulation i love how you said that yet we made it <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah because the people that i mean the people that made it <laughs> are like this is gonna make us a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> oh man money and plus being a super nerd you know yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so what i don't know if you all feel like you contend with burnout on a regular basis i know i mean aj you're on the show because you do <laughs> um but what i mean what do you do you know when you're feeling that what do you what steps do you take to try and like you know aside from like aside from quit your job right like, i think that's yeah, i know right i think that's <laughs> easier said. Every job I have. yeah i yeah. think that's easier said than done i think a lot of people are like i can't just quit my job right and i think that makes a lot of sense so like what do you do if you're experiencing it? um i've had burnout in many different situations and even not just with work but with personal things too um uh, and I'll describe one like uh, one of my dogs at the time was really aggressive 
And I did everything I possibly could do to make sure he wasn't aggressive, meaning go to the dog, dog behaviorist, went to extreme trainings, boardings, et cetera. And um, it was stressing me out because things weren't changing. Uh, it was completely out of control. And it got so bad that we took the trainer and the dog to the vet. That way they, we can all do it all together. And my dog couldn't handle it and literally tried to take on the vet. So, um, and I felt like a personal, it, it was a failure for me, I felt. And eventually I had to put the dog down because the dog was so aggressive that I was afraid that he would get out and there's kids on the street where I live. So I couldn't, I couldn't take that. And it just destroyed me. Um, it really did. And one thing that I notice when I feel like I'm getting burnt out from a situation is that I start feeling like I have panic attacks. And at first I did not recognize them because I, I never had them before. And when you're always on the go or always trying to fix something, control something um, in that state of mind, you don't really recognize those things. You always think burnout is simply mental. People forget to focus on the physical symptoms a lot. You know, you just blame it on, oh, I was just sick or I just had a headache. No. So once I started figuring out that trigger, when it started to apply to other things, um, I started meditating. I started writing in a journal. Breathing has been really big for me. Um, also talking to someone who is unbiased um, in the situation. That's really helped me a lot. Um, and crying. Sometimes a good cry does it for me. Um, I know that's like hidden in the very vulnerable moment, but we have to be in order to, to get through it. Now, my time frame of figuring out how I can handle my burnout and move on to the next day, next step is going to be completely different than someone else's. And I think that's something we have to recognize. No one's going to feel better in a week, a month, maybe even a couple months or even a year. You know, sometimes you just need that time to really collect yourself and reflect. So that that would be my my tips as well as things that I do to get back on track. Mm -hmm. Isabel, you've been meditating, right? I have. I have been trying to do like a 10 minute meditation every day. Um, mm. And I do think it, yeah, it was the kind of thing that I wouldn't have done like before I did this training that involved like a guided meditation. And I, cause I very, you know, I definitely like had these biases where I like associated with this, like kind of like hippie, like astrology type, you know, thing and like culture. Um, but it is really helpful to just like, you know, actively focus on your own chaotic internal world and like try to just be not necessarily like, you know, in control of it, because I don't, I think, you know, obviously it tells it like, that's what meditation teaches you is that like, you know, you can't necessarily do that, but just have the internal awareness of like, you know, what is even happening in there, you know? Yeah. You know what? I um, I got an MRI yesterday uh -huh. for the first time, mm -hmm. and I don't know if either of you have had a, have had an MRI before. Well, um, yes, but it's it's incredibly loud. Yeah, and they like put put uh, give you earplugs and put headphones over you, and um, 
my technician was like, you know, do you want to listen to music? And I was like, yeah. And then she couldn't get her music to work. So it ended up just being like, you know, the headphones, like the headphones covering up where they could cover up, but you could still, it's still very loud. And I like, I was like, you know, like what better, what better of a time to try and really get in my head and just like, and just like get at peace with my situation and like, just like try and like, you know, deep breathe and close my eyes and just like let my mind go than that. And it was, it worked very well, you know, <laughs> like I just like, I like, you know, I was like letting the thoughts come, like whatever fear and anxiety I felt about like being in an MRI machine or, you know, um, uh, how loud it was or whatever. I just like let that thought come, let it pass. And like, you know, tried to like really get in that meditation state and it was super helpful. The 30 minutes passed by really quickly. Oh, that's a long time. I didn't realize MRI takes yeah, a while. Yeah, they do take a yeah. while. <laughs> They're a long time. And I think that's a, I think that's a short one too. Cause they were just doing my knee and it's pretty easy to image a knee but i think if you're getting like a head mri it takes even longer wow dang i was just gonna ask does anyone have any other things to say yeah is there yeah is there any other like topic that you wanted to touch on aj around like burnout i i think the biggest thing today in i think another thing to talk about with burnout now is not just from a worker standpoint but what's going on politically and socially. Um, I identify as Black, and after last year, going into this year, uh, just the mental stress of watching George Floyd and numerous people before and after continuously being killed, um, it takes a toll on you. seeing someone in your community just be shot down and kneeled down like that. And that can cause a serious burnout, you know, from watching the news, from scrolling on IG, everyone posting black boxes or saying they stand up with whoever and you're just feeling in your feelings, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that I definitely felt that. Yeah. And it's like a box is not going to solve what we're, what's happening this is this is a much deeper issue at hand you know and it's been going on for a very long time we just have you know phones and stuff to record it now you know Uh so um it's it's that kind of burnout that i worry about long term um just for the sake that there are people that fight so much against putting certain policies in place where these things don't happen um and not standing up for communities you know not even just black communities you know uh the aapi you know asians are being attacked at the wazoo you know muslims jews i mean etc you know so that's one thing that really worries me you know you could go to work and work could be great but on a social scale if the world is burning that's that's hard to live through every day yeah, you know? I mean, it's like, the, like you know, the way I interpret like that issue is just that, like, on the one hand, the awareness does need to be spread in order mm-hmm. to get people activated enough to either vote on it or like volunteer or do the actual action involved in changing those systemic problems, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, the awareness also comes with this cost because, like, the awareness is really aimed at like 
white people and like allies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like right. those are the people who like, you know, obviously the black community for the most part knows what's going on and has known what's going on, but you're still the ones who are seeing it in your feed the most, right? Like, you know, <laughs> oh yeah. Right? Like, and so that's kind of like this, um, this just issue of like, how do you get the information to the right places and not just this echo chamber of yeah. like the people who already who already know about it and who already are getting, you know, emotionally drained because of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's hard um, to figure out how do you solve that problem necessarily. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember it was like, when the bring in stuff, it was like right around a year ago, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. if not a little bit more. Right. But I remember just doing so much doom scrolling of like seeing the cops beating the shit out of people in the wake of the George Floyd protest. And it was like, really 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 fucking with me and i like wasn't getting any work done i like just couldn't stop doom scrolling you know and i think that this is something that is actually pretty adjacent to the kind of burnout that like someone working at a nonprofit might feel where it like it's like sometimes you have to disconnect in order to like extend your longevity in the space mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. you know it's not like and there was really it was this kind of weird kind of pressure that i was feeling to be on social to see what was happening to be on top of everything yeah but in in all actuality like what the fuck was i doing right like what was i looking at you know like i knew the issue was there and i knew that the cops were beating the fuck out of people (laughs) um but it was not doing me personally any good like just being part of that community online you Mm -hmm. know so like i had to i think there it's like you know it's like we have to like make it known that it's fine to withdraw from that for days or weeks or however long you need to right like because like that's not you know like activism is comes in many formats um but you know the conversation will continue to happen without you and you can like you can take care of yourself you mm-hmm. know right mm-hmm. i think there's two competing narratives around the, well that i that i see that like make it hard like, on the one hand, I feel like I have heard this narrative of like, oh, well, if you're not posting, you're not using your platform, right? Like, yeah. you're not signal boosting, blah, blah, blah. Like, I've heard people being like, oh, this is your moral obligation to do this. And like, that, I think, doesn't feel right to me for the reasons you just mentioned. And then also, right, I think that there's this tension around like, whose job is it, quote unquote, job is it to like do the education, right? Mm-hmm. And it's tough because, so like, for example, right? I'm hosting a workshop this weekend on um, trans death care and non-binary death care, right? I work in the death care space. I'm not trans, right? But I do know how to do like human-centered design workshops and stuff. I still don't quite know whether like in this leftist kind of social paradigm that I happen to be a part of, if like that's okay for me to be doing. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think that it is necessarily like, a trans person's job to be doing that either because I'm sure like they all have so much of this exact same kind of emotional burnout related to this issue the people who are doing this kind of work so like I do think there is also this space normatively for us to normalize having allies kind of take on this mantle of doing that kind of education advocacy etc work right without it having to be your story per se right obviously there's like a weirdness around like well, I don't, I can't necessarily speak for someone on this, but at the same time, I, I don't think that it's necessarily the case that they should be doing all the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. And like, that's something that's like hard to just like figure out where the right balance is. I don't think we have like, quote unquote, like, you know, kind of come to a conclusion on that necessarily. Right. I think in that case, I think there is education needed, but also, and you know, some people may not like this, but dialogue and communication is still going to be the thing at the end of the day, we all have to come to the table, you know, um, yeah. it, there's, it, there's there's no other way we can keep moving forward and like some people okay yeah <laughs> but <laughs> in in other cases that you have people actually trying or people that have still have no idea but who are willing to learn you know and when, and we have folks you know if we're introducing the whole idea of cancel culture um beating folks over the head about saying things wrong and stuff like that um, it's it's going to be hard for people to progress and to learn about these things if they're constantly being beat down, you know, from the other side. So I totally believe in education, but I also believe there needs to be communication across the board with everyone. For sure. um, so, and, and, and it's still going to be hard regardless of, you know, we set these parameters in place or this and that. And on both sides, you know, it's it's always going to be hard. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the emotional trauma is, man. And on, on top of that, the pandemic, you know, the emotional trauma with <laughs> yeah. that, you know, I can't imagine. And, you know, my condolences if you guys lost anybody in your family from COVID. But I can't imagine that emotional take on of losing someone that you've been with every day and all of a sudden they're gone because of a disease that just took over the world globally, you know? So yeah. I call it the invisible alien. So, but it, it literally just, wow. You know, and that's something else too. And in, in terms of burnout that people are still dealing with, you know, my, um, my mom, she works with FEMA and she is working part of the hurricane deal. However, they have a section in there where they transfer people to what they call COVID funerals, where they help folks with COVID funerals and stuff with assistance and that. And I was just thinking to myself, like, wow, you know, the state of the world that we're in, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> like, I Rough. feel like that is like the millennial state of being where you're just like, Wow. <laughs> How did we get here? What are we doing? <laughs> you know, if you think about it, us millennials have flipped through some shit because, you know, there was Hurricane Katrina, you know, the war, uh, what is it, 9 11, um, and all, all the way through till now. So we, we definitely lived through some shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah, totally. Oh, boy. But yeah, it's the, the world that we live in. I'm, I'm really hoping that we can get back on track, but also realize that we need to face our demons head on. And that's the only way forward. Like there is no behind, there's no backwards. That is the only way forward. AJ, thank you so much oh, for coming on the show. Thank you, You've guys. Been a pleasure. I love being the villain on this show. 
(laughs) (laughs) I think it's important to know that like we're all kind of the villain. Yeah, you're right about that. You're definitely right. We're definitely trying (laughs) to like dismantle society and (laughs) yeah, remake it anew. Well, if you ever need some more uh, villainizing, let me know because I would be love to be on the show again. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, are you vaccinated? (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm definitely vaccinated. Hot vac summer or whatever they call it now. Hot vac oh, yeah. summer. <laughs> yeah, we're all so this, is a, this is a big deal. I think that um, I think this is the first time I've, I've gotten to do this. So over the over the pandemic, we've been recording episodes and like my ending question to everyone has always been like, what are you most excited to do? Ooh, you know, yeah, when things are have calmed down a little bit, but you're vaxxed now. So like, I guess my first question is like, have you done anything dope yet? Oh, man, I can't necessarily say dope because I'm still testing the fields down here. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't want to go whole hog. Yeah. You know, like I live in Texas and they didn't believe there was a pandemic when it first started. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but I don't know, like I'm a leftist myself. I'm a little crazy, you know, rather if it's going, you know, being nude at the beach or whatever, you know. I'll do my best. But right now I'm just getting back in the groove of like going back to the movies. I'm a big movie buff. And just mm. being able to sit in a theater, eat that fresh popcorn, have your drink, watch the commercials, and then the movie hits. I will never take that experience for granted again. Like yeah. never. So that's one thing I've been super happy. But in terms of dope, not yet, man. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Yeah. I think returning to the movies is dope. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is your space. Please uh, plug whatever you want to plug. Well, season two of She's So Real will be back later in the fall. Fingers crossed. Again, I'll be starting a web design business. It's called Studio Junk. And we basically build bold digital spaces for ambitious creatives who want to change their business and the world. So if you're interested in that, uh, please hit me up. If you're interested in being a podcast, uh, or excuse me, on the podcast, uh, go to she'soreal.com and you'll find all the info there. So there you go. Cool. As, as always, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter. That's our Gmail. And that's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye. <laughs>